Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the intermediate steps shown in the Bible that God did in creation and why he did them. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We want to thank you for your listenership here on the Friendship with God radio program. We want to encourage you to continue to support this radio program to stay on this station in your city. And by doing that, you'll help us to get the gospel out and Bible teaching around the country as well as on this station. But you'll also help the gospel to go out to the Jew first as well as to Gentiles. As Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, we go at Israel Restoration Ministries with our missionaries to the Jew first, but also to Gentiles as well. And we do that through gospel invitations, going door to door, speaking to people right where they're at in Jewish cities, and giving the gospel out to anybody we encounter. Now, we want to encourage you to support that. And when you do give support towards this radio ministry, we match that with a matching support donation from Israel Restoration Ministries. So, for example, if you contribute $100, we match that with $100 towards Jewish evangelism and the gospel going out. So we want to encourage you to donate today. You can do that by going to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org and donating online. Or call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program. Let's look to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. What a mighty word it is. How, Lord, it teaches us about you, how wonderful you are. It shows us our need, how much we need you. It shows us the path to come to God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us this morning to, Lord, absorb, to feast upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, let's see. Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, that's the verse we're going to cover this morning. Now, I know what you're thinking. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but, you know, two weeks ago, we arrived on this first verse here in Genesis 15, and we've parked here. We've just parked here on this verse and the last, for the last couple of weeks, and we've done that because really, this isn't the first time, it won't be the last time, that we stay a while. And so you could ask the question, you know, so why is this verse different from all other verses, like Passover, you know? Or why do we spend so much time on this verse? Well, the answer is we spend so much time on verses like this because there was an important pattern that was revealed to us when we began our study in the book of Genesis. And it really started in the first verse. And I always like to turn to that verse because it's the easiest verse to find in the Bible. So if you look at Genesis 1-1, you can't miss it. Uh, where it's such a remarkable, when you step back and you look at Genesis 1, which just has a little bit of interest to us because of the Creation Museum, but when you look at it, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and so really, that's a summary verse. When it says God created the heavens and the earth, that's a summary verse. 
and really, there's some reverse. There's an unwritten part that's right at the end of that verse, and it's really the unwritten part is details to follow. <laughs> okay? So really, it could be like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Details to follow. And that's what we have in the next chapter is, this, is the details that followed. And the first detail that we saw when we studied this is the first part of the second verse in the Bible where there's a detail about a very important, very interesting intermediate stage or step in the creation of the world, which reads like this, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, that's an important detail for us, given to us about an intermediate step in God's work of creating the earth. Now, eventually, the earth, we know, is going to become marvelous. It's going to finally turn out to be a wonderful place. But this little detail is an interesting detail because it's an unusual intermediate step that was called out for us in the creation of the world. And in that detail of that intermediate step of the creation of the world, there are three descriptions of the earth as it was in this intermediate step. And it says here that, first of all, the earth was just without form, or it was a worthless place. It was a place of no order. In other words, in this intermediate step, the earth was not useful. It was good for nothing. Then it says that the earth was void, or it was an empty place. In other words, in this intermediate step that God has chosen for there to be this intermediate step, and then God has chosen to call this out to us as an important detail, this was a place that was not doing anyone any good because it was an empty place. And then the earth, it says, was in a state of darkness, or it was a place of no light. In other words, in the intermediate step, there was a place that there was no light. There was no light there. So these details that were given to us in this second verse of the Bible here were that the earth was in this intermediate step during the creation where it was disordered, where it was empty, where it was a dark place. And have you ever asked the question, have you ever considered why in the world did God choose to create the world with this intermediate step where the world was a terrible place of disorder, of emptiness, and darkness. I mean, God is God. He didn't have to do it that way. And whatever he wants, he can do in the creation of the world. He didn't have to have this intermediate step here of the world being this terrible place of disorder and emptiness and darkness. I mean, the creation of light wasn't that way. I mean, light didn't go through an intermediate step where it wasn't quite right, you know, at first. And then it got perfected. I mean, God spoke and he said, there was, he said, let there be light. And like that, there was light. It was perfect. And you remember that the Lord Jesus Christ healed many people. But there was one man that went through this intermediate step where his blindness wasn't totally healed. We read about that in Mark 8, 23 through 25, where it says, he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, why was that intermediate step of all the healings that he had done of, of blind men why did he have to go to for another session, you know, another treatment? I mean, you know, that was God. I mean, you know, what was it that there was a lot of healing on that day and God just got tired and he said, yeah, I forgot something. I'm sorry, but come on back. I'll try it again. <laughs> like doctors. Because the reason that happened with that blind man is because there was a teaching reason behind it. 
why that blind man went through that intermediate step. It wasn't totally healed. It was to teach us. It was to show us something. It wasn't to show us that God slipped up in healing that man, but it was to teach us something. And in the same way, it did not have to take God six days to make the heavens and the earth. You know, someone says, you know, an evolutionist says, you know, I can't believe the earth and the cosmos were made in as short as only six days. And then the creationist says, I can't believe God it took as long as six days <laughs> to make the heaven and the earth. But he could have just said with one sentence, let there be a universe with a sun and a moon and stars and let there be a world with seas and dry lands and grasses and trees and animals and birds and fish, period. And as soon as he said period, just like that, it all would have been in place with no intermediate steps. So as soon as he would have said that, the world would have been created perfectly, wonderfully, none of this intermediate steps of disorder and emptiness and darkness. No, 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 no. He just had to say it and it would have been done. Perfect, wonderful, full of order, full of life, full of life from the get-go. Done, boom, accomplished, finished. But not this intermediate step. But God didn't do that. He didn't do that. He chose to have this intermediate step here in the creation of the world where the world was a terrible place of disorder and void, emptiness and darkness. And then he chose to call it out to us as in a detail, an important detail that we need to know. You know, that's, that's how God deals with us. We are on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> that's with God. And God decides what we need to know. And God has put everything we need to know right here in this book. This is the book, and God says you need to know everything in that book. So he's put together the Bible, and really what the Bible is, God's choice of what we need to know. So we need to know everything in God's need-to-know book, the Bible. And so the fact that there is actually this intermediate step during the creation when the earth was this place of emptiness and darkness and voidness is a detail that we need to know. Okay. So we saw in this intermediate step that the earth was this terrible place. Described it, it's described here, disorder, emptiness, darkness. And that's an important point. Now, wait a minute. Then he goes on. Then we see another important detail in verse 2 where it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So that important next detail is another thing that we need to know. Because during this intermediate step, when the earth was a terrible place of disorder, emptiness, and darkness, the Spirit of God hovers. And we looked at this before. Mirakefet, he hovers over there from Rakaf. He's hovering over this one part of the earth, this is the waters, in its terrible state. And then following this hovering that God does, this Rakaf, over this one part of the earth in its terrible state of its disorder and emptiness and darkness, this terrible section of the earth, the waters, it starts to get fixed by God. And so that's important to focus on, that the problems that which are called out for us of the disorder and of the emptiness and of the darkness, those three problems start to get fixed by God. And those three problems, the detailed out for us and the fixing of them is what the whole rest of the chapters are about. One detail, the earth was a terrible place because the earth was in darkness. That was a darkness problem. And that darkness problem was fixed by God. So the detail of how God fixed the darkness problem we saw in verse 3 God fixed the darkness problem with the creation of light with his words let there be light another detail that was called out for us was a terrible place that lacked order and so that was a disorder problem and the disorder problem we see is fixed by God as he makes the uh, 
He separates the dry land from the sea and makes the moon and the tides and the stars, etc., etc. So now he's got order. Another detail was the earth was a terrible place because it was empty. And that was an emptiness problem. And that emptiness problem was fixed by God. So we saw the details of how he fixed the emptiness problem. He fills the sea with life. He fills the land with animals. He fills the air with birds. So we have a description of the creation in the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then describes for us this intermediate stage in that creation where God did not have to have it that way. And he didn't have to call it out to it. But he's God, so he had it that way. And he called it out to us. And because there's an important lesson for us to learn. Very important. And that intermediate step that he designed during the creation of the time when the world was a terrible place of disorder, emptiness, and darkness. And now we understand why that was so important for us to know that detail. Why the creation of the earth went through that sort of like, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, part when it was so terrible. Because it was so important for us to see God fixed it. And that history and its history of how God fixes problem was very important for one person in particular to know, and his name was Adam. It was very important for Adam to know that because Adam soon, in chapter 3, soon is going to sin and he's going to be responsible for introducing into his life terrible new problems of death and being bound for hell, the eternal place of death. He'll lose his order in his life. He'll lose the purpose in his life. He'll feel this emptiness because he will be empty, because he's alienated from God, and he's going to be alienated from his wife as well. With all those problems that were all too great for Adam to handle, Adam would sit down and say, what's a guy supposed to do? when he's in a fix like this. And because of the detail of the creation of the world in that terrible state of being without order and empty and darkness and how God fixed it, Adam can say, wait a minute, I remember how the world had problems and how God fixed it. I'll go to God to fix my problems. So remember how we talked about in Genesis 1, or this Genesis 1 and 2, how the whole creation was God preparing the earth for man. He prepared. You need air. We're going to give you air. You need food. We'll give you food. You need, you know, to something to make it so you can keep your calendar. We'll make it that way. Everything was God preparing, preparing, preparing for man. Well, God also saw that man was going to have a big terribleness in his life. So he said, hold it, stop. When we make the earth, we're going to make the earth to have a terrible situation of disorder and and emptiness and darkness. And then we're going to show how I fixed it. Because Adam's going to need this. He's going to need to go to me. I'm the go-to person to fix things. So he does it that way. And then Adam eventually did that. He allowed God to fix him by closing him with the skins of the sacrificed animals. So That little detail about the world being in a state of terribleness was not only for Adam, it's for us. It's for us as well. Because like Adam, in the world in its intermediate stage is a picture of our lives. Like when the world was a terrible place because of disorder, that's us. Our personal sin made our lives terrible because it caused no order. And we knew we had no purpose in life because we had no purpose in life. Because sin separated us from our purpose, which is God. Tom, that was another great teaching message today. Now let's talk about separation because God separated the darkness and the light. And what does it mean for us to be separated from the world? 
and why does God call us to be separated? You know, this is a very important issue of separation for the believer. And many people believe that what separation means is isolation. You know, God never called for his people to be isolated from the world. He called for them to be insulated from the world. And we have to explain those terms from the Bible. He said in in 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So here we can ask the question, not only what does it mean to be separated, but why does God call for us to be separated? Well, he's saying here that the issue here is the unclean, the unclean thing. In other words, it's the practices of the world. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the defiling things that are in the world that God says, I don't want you to touch those. I don't want you to become unclean. And why? Because he wants to receive us. He says, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. It's a matter of whether or not the thing interferes with our fellowship with God, with our friendship with God. What is paramount for us, what is paramount for God, is that we maintain our friendship with God. Tom, today you spoke about God creating the world with an intermediate step. Now, can you clarify for us today, what does the Bible mean about the term world? Yeah, that's right. When the Bible uses the term world, it's not referring to planet Earth. It's really referring to a system, a world system. James 4.4 tells us what the problem is with this world system. When he addresses ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You know, the whole focus of our times together is friendship with God. And the opposite of friendship with God is what the Bible is calling here the enemy of God, being an enemy of God or enmity with God. And he says that, you know, whereas the world can feel comfortable and laugh with adulterers and adulteresses, God says that's part of the world system, and that world system is at war with me. It's at enmity with me. And so, therefore, he says, you have to make a choice. Either you're going to be friendship with God or friendship with the world. And if you are at friendship with the world, then you are, by definition, an enemy of God. And on the other hand, if you are going to have friendship with God, you're going to be an enemy with the world. So it's very important for us to understand what is the world. Well, in 1 John 2.16, it describes to us what is the world. And when it says, for all that is in the world, or you could say all that's a part of the world system, and then it delineates three parts, the lust of the flesh— The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So when we talk about the world system, we are talking about the lust of the flesh. What makes me feel good? When I set above all else the enjoyments of my body, 
otherwise known as the lust of the flesh, that is of the world. That's not of God. When I set the lust of the eyes, oh, I will see anything and watch anything, and I will withhold nothing from my eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. That's that's not of God. That's of the world. When I say the pride of life, look at me. As it says in Revelation 3.17, I am rich, I am increased with goods, I have need of nothing. All that I, I, I is pride, and it's called the pride of life. I'm proud of myself and what I have accomplished. God says that is not of God, that is of the world. And he says that therefore we are to be separate from that. That is to be our enemy. That type of spirit, that type of attitude is of the world. It's not of God. God, as far as the person who walks with God, he will deny the pleasures of flesh in order to not offend God. As far as the person who walks with God, he will say, I have set no evil thing before my eyes. And he will deny what his eyes may want to look at, the lust of the eyes. As far as the person who wants to walk with God, He is humble, he is meek, but he is not the proud person because God says that he resists the proud. And that means that God will put his hand firmly in the chest of the person who wants to come to God if that person says, I am proud, I am rich and have need of nothing. And God says, you will not find me. So these are the things that are in the world, and these are the things that are the enemy with God. Tom, that's great teaching. Now, you spoke on what separation is and what the world is, but how are we to separate from the world? Yes, and here it's very, very important to know that God does want us to separate from the world, and he has a specific how-to separate from the world. That's found in John 17 in the great prayer of the Lord, high priestly prayer there, where he comes to his father at the end of his ministry. And part of what he prays for, many subjects he covers during that time, but part of what he prays for is what he calls them that are in the world. In other words, his own. And he says, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. In other words, although we may say, I want to leave this life, I've had it, I'm fed up, just take me home. But God doesn't have it that way. And he says, I do not pray that thou shouldst take them out of the world. We've been sent into enemy territories. We work behind enemy lines. That's where God has us. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. But he says, but he is praying, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. In other words, God is able to put around us a holy bulletproof vest. He's able to clothe us in a holy bulletproof vest. He's able to put on us the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are not defiled by the world, even though we're in the world. He was among sinners. He died among thieves. But the Bible says in Hebrews that he was holy, harmless, separate from sinners. And he was kept from the evil. And in the same way, 
he says he prays that we would be kept from the evil. He prayed to the Father, they are not of the world. They did not come from the world. They did not originate from the world. They are foreign to the world was what he meant by those words. They are not of the world. And then he said, he is, even as I am not in the world, but he lived in the world. He ate the same food as the world. He breathed the same air as the world. He walked on the same roads as the world walked on, but he was not part of that world system. And that's what he meant when he said, I I am not of this world, and they are not of the world. And so then he said, sanctify them through thy truth. In other words, he prayed, when the Bible, when they read the Bible and they sit down in their, in their devotion times, make that to be, Father, the holy labor, like in the Mishkan, like in the temple that cleansed the, the priests. Let the Bible clean them. He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Sanctify them through thy truth. Why are we cleansed by the word of God? Because he prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. And then he said, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is not only a a revealing word to it, it is a cleansing word to us. And then he said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. In other words, once we are kept from the evil that is in the world, once we are sanctified from the dirt and the filth that's in the world by the word of God, then we are ready to be sent into the world. And that's why we work behind enemy lines, because God has called us, he has sent us, and he has provided everything we need so that we can all so with him, return at the end of our lives and say, we finished the work you gave us to do as he did. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor, and it's called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? Now, we'll also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll receive both of these wonderful resources for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. Now, we have reached in the past three years over 5 million lost Jewish people with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. So to order your copies of How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and Tom Cantor's testimony, you can call us today at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.